Welcome to episode 16 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. Today's episode is called Sicily, A Tale of Three Cities. In fact, Sicily has many more cities than three, but we're going to focus on three for different reasons. One is Palermo, which for many centuries was the capital of Sicily. One is Catania, which had a very ancient Jewish population and is a particularly cool city architecturally. You're walking on a normal residential street downtown and you enter a building and behind a normal door is a whole Greek amphitheater. And the third city is Syracuse or Syracuse in Italian, which at one point in history was the largest Greek-speaking city in the world. So at the very beginning of this episode, I'm going to warn you that you'll have to put aside everything you think you know about Sicily. You may have watched The Godfather or may have eaten in Sicilian restaurants. You may know people who describe themselves as Italian but are really Sicilian. But I guarantee you that you have no idea of the complex reality of Sicily, which is, by the way, the largest island in the Mediterranean and in some ways, geographically and culturally, the heart of the Mediterranean world, and certainly at some points in time was the heart of the Jewish world. So at various points in the past, Sicily was controlled by Phoenicians, Carthaginians, Greeks, Romans, Vandals, Goths, Byzantines, Arabs, Normans, the Aragonese, and then the Spanish more generally, the French, the Germans, and finally it became an autonomous region in the Republic of Italy, although it has its own distinct culture, language, cuisine, and Sicilians, when they talk about going to the mainland, say, we're going to Italy. They don't really consider that Italy is where they actually live. So the history of Sicily actually reads like a picaresque novel, and the twists and turns are dramatic, frequent, and sometimes so complicated that following Sicilian history is even more difficult than following Balkan history. Let's skip the prehistory because there's so much to cover from the arrival of, of the Phoenicians in the 11th century before the Common Era. They basically took over the island until Sicily was colonized by the Greeks originally in the 8th century before the Common Era. Near the beginning of the Greek presence, Greek colonies were confined to the eastern and southern parts of the island. The most important colony was established at Syracuse in 734 before the Common Era. As Greeks spread out, Sicily became an important part of Greek civilization. And some say there are more Greek ruins on Sicily than there are in Greece itself. What is certainly true is that Sicily was always referred to in Latin as Magna Grecia, Greater Greece. And for example, two famous Greeks that you've all heard of, Archimedes and Empedocles, are both from Sicily. By the 3rd century BCE, Syracuse was the largest city in the Greek-speaking world, and politically it was sometimes more important than Athens itself. However, the Carthaginians continued to have a presence in what eventually became the capital of Sicily, which was Palermo, and they also 
had more and more conflicts with the Greeks, both over economic matters and over political matters. The constant conflict between Carthage and the Greek city-states eventually opened the door to an emerging third power. In the 3rd century BCE, the Roman Republic intervened into Sicilian affairs, and let this intervention led to the first Punic War between Rome and Carthage. Eventually, of course, the Romans were successful and victorious, and Sicily, with the exception of Syracuse, which remained Greek, was in Roman hands, thus becoming Rome's first province outside of the Italian peninsula. For the next 600 years, Sicily was a province of the Roman Empire, but it remained sort of a rural backwater, important mainly for its grain fields, which were a major source of the food supply of the city of Rome. A lasting legacy of the Roman occupation in agricultural and economic terms was the establishment of the large landed estates, often owned by distant Roman aristocrats. Despite its largely neglected status, Sicily was able to make a contribution to Roman culture through some historians, some poets, some intellectuals, and an inscription from the reign of Hadrian lauds the emperor as the restorer of Sicily, although it's not clear what he did to earn this accolade. It was during this early Roman period that the first Christian communities began to form in Sicily, and among the earliest Christian martyrs were two Sicilian women, St. Agatha of Catania and St. Lucy of Syracuse. Then, as the Roman Empire was falling apart, a tribe of Franks conquered Syracuse in 260 AD. Subsequently, a Germanic tribe known as the Vandals took all of Sicily in 440 under the rule of their king, Genseric. There were numerous conflicts between these various barbarian tribes, mostly Germanic, uh, mostly one type of Goth or another, except for the Vandals. And finally, the Gothic War took place between the Ostrogoths and the Eastern Roman Empire, also known as the Byzantine Empire. Sicily was the first part of Italy to be taken by the Byzantine general Belisarius, who was commissioned by the famous Eastern Emperor Justinian. Sicily was used as a base for the Byzantines to conquer the rest of Italy, with Naples, Rome, Milano, and the Ostrogoth capital of Ravenna falling within five short years. Ravenna became an important Byzantine base for many years after this battle, and much of southern Italy was under Byzantine control and belonged to the Eastern Orthodox Church. When Ravenna fell to the Lombards, another group of Germanic barbarians in the 6th century, Syracuse became Byzantium's main western outpost. Latin was gradually supplanted by Greek as the national language, and the Greek rites of the Eastern Church were adopted throughout the island. The Byzantine emperor Constantius II decided to move from the capital Constantinople to Syracuse in 663. The following year, he launched an assault from Sicily against the Lombard Duchy of Benevento in southern, what is today southern Italy. And then he occupied most of southern Italy. 
The rumors that the capital of the empire was to be moved to Syracuse, along with small raids, probably cost Constance his life as he was assassinated in 668. His son Constantine IV succeeded him, and from the late 7th century, Sicily joined with Calabria to form the Byzantine province of Sicily. Early in the 9th century of the Common Era, dynastic problems and internal political problems in Sicily caused one of the would-be rulers to request military assistance from the Arab Emir of Tunisia. In regaining the island, an Islamic army of Arabs, Berbers, Cretan Saracens, and Persians was sent. The conquest was a seesaw affair. The local population resisted fiercely, and the Arabs suffered considerable losses and infighting among themselves. It took over a century to complete the conquest, although it was practically complete by 902. The last Byzantine strongholds held out until 965. Throughout this period, continued revolts by Byzantine Sicilians happened, especially in the east, and part of the islands were even reoccupied before being quashed. By the 11th century, aristocrats in southern Italy, but not in Sicily, were hiring ferocious Norman mercenaries who were Christian descendants of the Vikings, and it was the Normans under Roger I who conquered Sicily from the Muslims. This was a long, slow conquest, took about 30 years, but it was completed with the victory and conquest of Palermo in 1091, which led to Sicily being completely in Norman control. Some historians have even argued that the Norman conquest of Muslim Sicily from 1060 to 1091 was the actual start of the Crusades. All I can say is that when you visit Sicily today, you will see physical evidence of the Norman period, not only in certain churches and palaces and architecture, but in names like Roger and Veronica and in faces. There's a shockingly large percentage of Sicilians who have blonde hair and green or blue eyes reflecting their Norman and ultimately their Viking ancestry. Roger's son, Roger II of Sicily, was ultimately able to raise the status of Sicily to that of a full kingdom by including his holdings on Malta and on the mainland of southern Italy. During this period, the kingdom of Sicily was prosperous and powerful, becoming one of the wealthiest states in all of Europe, and in fact, wealthier than England at this time. And speaking of England, you might remember that it was in 1066 that a different group of Normans, but the same family basically, conquered England under William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings. So Roger II's grandson, whose name was William the Good, reigned from 1166 to 1189. His greatest legacy was the building of the Cathedral of Monreale, which is the best surviving example of Sicilian Norman architecture and which sits on top of a mountain just south of Palermo, so that from the cathedral you have a view of not only the whole city of Palermo, but also its bay and its harbor and its breathtaking, well worth a visit. When William the Good died in 1189 without an heir, he effectively signaled the end of 
Norman rule in Sicily. There were several attempts, notably by a guy named Tancred of Sicily, an illegitimate grandson of Roger II, to take back control. But ultimately, particularly after he died in 1194, so with the end of the Sicilian Norman dynasty came the beginning of the South German Hohenstaufen dynasty. And of their line, Henry VI was being crowned king of Sicily in Palermo at the same moment as his wife was giving birth to Frederick II, sometimes referred to as Frederick I of Sicily. This Frederick was raised in Palermo, and like his grandfather, Roger II, was passionate about science, learning, literature, etc. He created one of the earliest universities in Europe, in Naples, and passed a number of repressive measures against Muslims in order to please the popes who could not tolerate Islam being practiced in the heart of Christendom. This resulted predictably in a rebellion by Sicily's Muslims, which in turn triggered organized resistance and systematic reprisals and marked the final chapter of Islam in Sicily. The Muslim problem so plagued the Hohenstaufen rule in Sicily that under Henry VI and his son Frederick II, direct papal pressure induced Frederick to transfer all of his Muslim subjects deep into the Italian countryside on the mainland. The few remaining Muslims in Sicily were finally expelled completely in 1224. Frederick was succeeded first by his son Conrad and then by an illegitimate son Manfred, and the Hohenstaufen rule ended with the death of Manfred at the Battle of Benevento in southern Italy in 1266. In yet another short but lively chapter of Sicilian history, in 1266, Charles I, the Duke of Anjou in France, with the support of the church, who was, which was never very happy with the Hohenstaufens, led an army against the kingdom of Sicily. They fought at Benevento, where Manfred was killed, and Charles was crowned as king of Sicily by Pope Clement IV. Growing opposition to French officialdom and very high taxation led to a revolution in 1282 called the Sicilian Vespers, which was successful because it had the support of Peter III of Aragon, who was then crowned king of Sicily by the island's barons. Peter III had previously married Manfred's daughter Constance, and it was for this reason that the Sicilian barons effectively invited him in. The victory split the kingdom in two, with Charles continuing to rule the part of Sicily on the mainland that was still known as the Kingdom of Sicily, and the island kingdom became known as briefly as the Kingdom of Trinacria. It's this split, by the way, that eventually led to the creation of the oddly titled Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, roughly 500 years later, but it has its roots in these events that occurred late in the 13th century. For most of the 14th century, Sicily was essentially an independent kingdom ruled by relatives of the kings of Aragon, but for all intents and purposes, these were Sicilian kings. The Sicilian parliament, already in existence for a century, continued to function with wide powers and responsibilities. During this period, a, a sense of Sicilian peoplehood and national identity emerged. 
That is to say that the population was no longer divided between Greeks, Arabs, and Latin peoples. Catalan and Aragonese were the languages of the royal court, and Sicilian was the language of the parliament and the general citizenry, the language of the streets, if you will. These circumstances continued until 1409, when the Sicilian throne became part of the crown of Aragon, the island's first university was founded at Catania in 1434, and with the union of the crowns of Castile and Aragon in 1479, Sicily was ruled directly by the kings of Spain via governors and viceroys in the ensuing centuries. You may remember from earlier sessions on Andalusia that in 1492, the Alhambra Decree was announced, expelling Jews and Muslims from all of Spain. Since Sicily was effectively part of Spain, this decree applied also to Jews in Sicily, but it was put into effect slightly later. All right, I have a feeling that this episode is already getting way too long, so we're going to take a break here and resume in our next episode with what happened after the Jews were expelled from Sicily in 1492, both in terms of Sicilian history and in terms of Jewish history, which sort of went dormant for several centuries, but is undergoing an exciting renaissance today. Look forward to talking with you soon.